everyone. Grace Chisong Young is extraordinary. Welcome back to the podcast. I am so unbelievably excited about this episode. Today, I'm going to be talking to you about a very special woman, Grace Chisong Young, who lived between 1868 and 1944. This is a female mathematician that I have spent the last four months pouring myself into. I have travelled across the country twice and visited archives as far away as Texas, virtually, to consult her past correspondence, writings and artwork. I have stayed up so many times drafting and redrafting segments of this project. Throughout the whole process, I learned so much about this special lady, but also about myself, which I did not expect going into it. I cannot wait to share the insight I've gotten and why I think we can learn so much from Grace's life. I think a lot of her life might have strange parallels with today. And I don't know, maybe that's the whole point of history, to feel empathy for people in the past. Thank you, Fliss, a lovely girl on my course who says something along these lines first. Here is a woman who lived 100 years ago and then she died. I have no connection to her. And yet, through reading all her letters with her husband and her children and her friends and her sister, I got a real sense of her life. And it's actually remarkable how connected I feel to her even though she's not alive. I never met her. She had her whole separate life. She had no idea I ever existed or would exist, obviously. But yeah, it was crazy. This term has been amazing because I have had Professor Jim Secord as my supervisor. He has shared so many incredible ideas and positive encouragement along the way. He has helped me develop as a historian, so I'm very grateful for him. And if any filmmakers stumble across this episode, I'm just putting it out there. Please reach out to me. We're going to make an amazing movie on her one day. I've read all of the letters. I can provide so much insight. Please, please hire me to help you make this film about Grace's life. Or maybe I'll hire you one day. Who knows? But yes, thank you as well to the Liverpool Archives. A lot of the material that I'm going to be discussing is by courtesy of the University of Liverpool Library. And I will reference material as I go, saying Liverpool and then the reference number. Thank you also to the Cambridge University Whiffle Special Collections. So this is where I came across Grace for the first time. A very exciting aspect of this project was that the Whiffle Special Collections had Grace's personal copy of her book, The Theory of Sets of Points, which she published jointly with her husband in 1906. So this book contains ample marginalia, that's comments that Grace has written into the book. She's inserted postcards, letters, reviews, artwork. She's done watercolours in there. She's written manuscript revisions at the end for a second edition of the textbook, which never got published in the couple's lifetime. But yeah, this book is a remarkable historical artefact, and we're going to explore this lots later on. So in this episode, I'm going to be referring to Grace's personal copy of this book as Grace's annotated book. So when I say Grace's annotated book, I'm referring to that. So First, I think I need to give you a bit of background to Grace Chisholm Young. She went to Cambridge University to study mathematics in 1888 at Girton College, which is the women's college at the time. There was Newnham College as well. But at this time, women could still not get official degrees. She really made the most out of her time at Girton, running her college tennis team and mathematics club. Details of this can be found at the Girton Archives. After getting a first class in her exams at Cambridge, Grace went with her Girton friend to Oxford to sit the maths exams there as a joke or a challenge, and Grace got the top mark. 
of the year. But after graduating, she went to Germany to complete a PhD because she was not able as a woman to get a PhD in the UK at the time. In fact, she was the first woman in Germany to get an official PhD. So you're probably thinking so far, hmm, pretty impressive. What a high achiever. That must be it. No, no. This is not even getting started on Grace's life. This is just a bit of background. So after her PhD, Grace embarked on a creative partnership with her mathematician husband, William Henry Young. William was actually Grace's coach during one term of her time at Gerson College doing maths. Their romance only began after Grace sent her PhD dissertation to various old Cambridge contacts, um, from which a conversation sparked between the two. Grace married William in 1896 after an 11 month courtship. She spent her career years working on maths at home and writing up a lot of maths papers on ideas that she and William both had, while William would seek teaching posts at various universities around the world. Grace and her husband both produced a large body of mathematical work, mostly on set theory, in their most productive period of their lives. A lot of these papers got published in her husband's name, not in her name. Some papers did get published under both their names and very few got published just under Grace's name. So their seminal work, The Theory of Sets of Points, which I have mentioned already, that was published under both Grace and Williams's name. This hidden figures element to Grace and Williams' story leaves much to explore on the feminist front and much to explore regarding the nature of having a partnership. In my age group, we might not think so much about having creative or entrepreneurial partnerships with people and what it means to be business partners as well as romantic partners. We might have parents or friends that have worked on things in a partnership before or know of power couple examples in the media. I was looking at Deliciously Ella a few nights ago as part of avoiding doing my exams and Deliciously Ella is actually a team of Ella and her husband, not just Ella. She is the face of the brand. Grace and William, my mathematicians, interestingly sought a similar setup with William the more visible face of the brand. Their case was obviously tied with female oppression because this was a time where women were not seen as adequate mathematicians or scientists. So in this episode, I'm going to cover what historians have said so far about Grace and William's partnership. Grace's annotated copy of the theory of sets of points is going to help us see Grace and William's partnership in a slightly different light. Um, this book can be read as a transcript of what I think was their partnership. I'm also going to read Grace's annotated copy of the book in two other ways. I'm going to read it as a math textbook to get a bit of a better idea of Grace's mathematical identity, independently of her husband's. And I'm going to talk about reading the book as Grace's personal scrapbook to get another idea of Grace's life independently of her husband. So really the purpose with this project was to understand Grace's lived experience of life. Historians have remembered Grace for the fact that she was a woman in STEM at a time when this was unusual. And they also remember her for her creative partnership with her husband. At the time, many barriers faced women from taking part in maths and science. Women could not get official degrees and were only allowed to study unofficially at Cambridge. Less than 20 years before Grace joined Cambridge, women could not study at Cambridge at all. Grace is an example of someone who has managed to get somewhat remembered by hidden figures in literature. This is amazing, and one of the many extraordinary things about Grace is her achievements, given female oppression at the time. But on top of that, she is so much more than just a woman in STEM. I think the literature has talked lots about this and how her partnership was unfair. 
And while this is important, I think it would be interesting to also look at what her lived experiences of life were like. This will become clearer later on, but I think that her lived experience of life did not revolve around contemporary understandings of her place and her partnership. So we see these two sorts of understandings of Grace emerge. The first is what has currently been said about her, and the second is hopefully what I think I have found. So now I'm going to talk to you a bit about what current literature and historians have said about them. So Claire Jones um, has provided the most convincing, in my eyes, depiction of Grace and William's complex dynamic partnership. She's spoken about them as a family firm. She presents the Youngs as practitioners of mathematics, looking to make money to support their family. They both produced original mathematical ideas and wrote papers, mostly working together. Grace would bring prestige and European contacts to the firm, receiving William good reputation, teaching positions and research guidance. Their relative roles and activities frequently changed over the decades that they worked together. So while I think Jones's depiction of the Youngs is successful, I think that she discusses their partnership as ideally being perfectly equal. Um, and as it wasn't equal, as William got a lot of the credit for the work that they got, this was somehow wrong. And as a feminist, I would agree this is wrong. William got all the credit at the time, all of this. But it is somewhat unclear what it would in reality mean to have a perfectly equal partnership, especially in this period. Two people wanting to construct a career together while sharing a life might naturally take on different roles based on their different skill sets for synergistic productivity. So Grace did not receive due credit in many works that she co-wrote or wrote, but she was really respected at the time by fellow mathematicians. Exposing past instances of subjugation might somehow risk misremembering people's accomplishments. Grace seemed to be fulfilled not only from her mathematical achievements, but also in having raised her six children, whom she loves spending time with. Purely focusing on Grace's oppression risks furthering anti-feminist narratives of women being stuck at home, achieving nothing. I wish to follow recent feminist literature in recovering how women made opportunities for themselves within difficult circumstances to enhance their life, working with and using rather than resisting their situations to gain power. So I think historians fail to note relative freedoms which Grace had within her partnership, given the time she lived in. So of course, today, this is not seen as freedoms at all. I do not wish to suggest that Grace's situation was fair or unhindered by misogyny, but rather I aim to explore Grace's full experiences of life. William took up various long distance posts um, in the time when Grace was working from home. Grace was writing up her annotations in her annotated copy whilst William was teaching in Aberystwyth during 1919-1920. She was largely free to go about her daily life as if William was not there, almost. Historians have emphasised William's difficult character. Um, someone called Rothman writes of a third-hand story of William swimming with a friend in a lake, spluttering, are you one of those people who thinks my wife is a better mathematician than I am? Sylvia Wiegand, which is actually Grace's granddaughter, reports that Grace had headaches in the days after William would leave and that he was demanding and critical. Grattan Guinness writes how William often fell out with colleagues, with Grace diplomatically maintaining good relations. William frequently asked Grace to write more to him, filled with disappointment and pressure at times, telling her how many hours she should work. He said, your time is precious. I judge every minute of it spent on letter writing, housekeeping, visiting and the like. 
That was Liverpool D146-5378. Grace would apologise, ever obedient and peacekeeping, never complaining of Will. Perhaps worst of all, William once wrote to Grace, I value your half enormously, up to a certain point. I do not believe, however, that your chief strength is in mathematics, plain and simple. You can do everything well, and it pays to do something well, but mathematics is not one of these unless one has genius. That was Liverpool, D146-558A. So that's pretty grim. Um, William's being a bit mean to Grace there. But I think that this interpretation is not the full story. I think historians have not accurately communicated the content of the Young's whole correspondence, which remains. Rather, they have summarised the most outrageous 10 or so letters. Correspondence between William and Grace largely was their relationship when they were apart, which was for lots of their working partnership years. So it is important to represent that correspondence as accurately as possible to understand Grace's lived experience of her partnership, even if it turns out to be less dramatic than the literature suggests. What can we find along these lines in Grace's annotated copy of the theory of sets of points? Actually, Grace inserted a letter in this book from William. And this letter depicts a stable functioning partnership and hard work and collaboration to get this book finished. It also illustrates Grace's freedom at home to go about her mathematical work. After reading and replying to this agreeable page-long letter, she could do whatever she wanted. She was not speaking to William for the rest of the day. Reading this letter unveils the couple's day-to-day -day personal and mathematical partnership more accurately than reading some of the literature's hand-picked worst letters from William. So this letter offers an entrance point into inspecting their wider correspondence more uniformly. Love and mundane life have been left out, which is crucial to understanding the context of William's comments to Grace. William frequently asks Grace to rest as well as work harder on their mathematical projects. Grace does communicate her annoyance about the world, albeit not about him. Whilst writing the theory of sets of points, William reports how his Liverpool post is going, whilst Grace reports how her life is at home with the children. They discuss their various ailments and illnesses, future trips and visits they will be taking, and money matters, with little argument. So William and Grace discuss their future in two-way conversations, with both opinions important in making decisions. For example, there is an open exchange between the two in July 1902 about William's rejection from an Australian teaching post. William also communicates approval over Grace taking up studies in medicine, albeit so long as it does not reduce her mathematical output. Liverpool D146558A. They write in loving language. While William gives many orders for Grace's mathematical and domestic activity, pressuring her with phrases including I am anxious, a representative summary of all their correspondence would include details such as William writing to Grace, I do hope the math has not caused you to overwork or neglect other things. Do let me know how you are. How was Liverpool D146596. In discussing the gender divisions of labour, we are biased to resport correspondence directly relevant to male genius tropes and discrepancies within their partnership. In reality, their mundane correspondence better represents their relationship rather than the worst letters William sent to Grace, which suggests a much less happy situation. So, was Grace in a position of relative subjugation? The literature does pessimistically describe the young's gender divisions of labour. However, Grace had many freedoms relative to other women of the time. She spent much time apart from William, responding only to a daily letter and otherwise not interacting with him. She could go about daily life as she wished. Despite women being seen as intellectual inferiors at the time, Grace could dedicate her life to mathematics. 
William's unmarried sisters at times helped with the housework and children, reducing Grace's domestic responsibilities. Conversely, William was away from his family at universities including Liverpool and Calcutta, which he hated, on time-consuming teaching posts. Travelling and settling into new places without acquaintances was tiring for him. Within the 8,000 letters in the Young's archive in Liverpool, there is little direct evidence of Grace's personal views of her situation. Reading Jones's account leads us to believe that Grace spent most of her time pondering and resisting her gendered role in society. Jones writes that Grace felt pressure not to be a shameful woman who publicly overshadowed her husband by taking credit or being better at something. Jones argues that Grace lost her mathematical identity as it blended with Williams. However, during the decades they worked together, as well as being a willing partner of William, Grace did appear to be a willing partner of the societal subjugation of women by men, which she saw as somewhat advantageous. She once wrote to her sister, and this is Liverpool D146782. She wrote, Will has insisted on my name appearing with his, which up until now, at my wish, we have not done. I am rather sorry. I liked being incognizant to the outside world and I felt I had the perfect right to do so, husband and wife being one. I confess it seems to me a trifle ordinaire to put my name with his on the title page. I don't want to be mistaken for the modern ambitious female, ambitious for herself and her own glorification. Our work has just been our work, as our children are our children, but I can understand and I respect his feelings and it is like him to have it and so I give way. So these views are typical of those of the anti-suffrage movement at the time, in which women somewhat built their own impression. There is limited evidence that Grace resisted societal gender norms. If anything, she seems somewhat anti-suffrage. This does not invalidate Jones's discussion of Grace's subjugation, but it rather decenters it in trying to understand how Grace lived her life. So that's a bit of discussion about what the current literature has said about Grace and Will and their partnership. And also a bit of discussion of how we can read the theory of sets of points, Grace's personal coffee, looking at the letter that she inserted in there with William to see maybe a little bit more of an accurate depiction of their daily life together and how Grace seemed to actually not be resisting her subjugation as a woman. Again, this does not take away from the fact that Grace was oppressed as a woman at the time, but I do think that it gives us a bit more of an insight into what her daily life was like. And I think that is really, really valuable and insightful. So I think we'll be able to see this a bit more if we go on to reading Grace's annotated copy of the theory of sets of points in the other two ways, as a textbook and as a scrapbook, because then we get a better picture of how this book can show us Grace's personal experiences of her own life and why she was so extraordinary in these other ways, as well as being a woman in STEM. Now I think it would be a good time to read Grace's annotated copy as a math textbook. So this is really interesting. Grace wrote lots of manuscript revisions at the back of her annotated copy to try and make a second edition for the theory of sets of points. This textbook really intervened the mathematical community at the time. It was a book summarizing all of set theory when set theory had not been summarised before. This brings to light questions about what we remember in the history of science. A lot of people might think of Newton or Galileo when I say the history of science. They might think about an apple falling from a tree. And as I discussed with Patricia Farah in the previous episode, that is not an accurate depiction of 
how science has happened in the past and how this idea of progress has been happening. So if we actually think about Newton and gravity, Newton's teachers are never spoken about and also the dissemination of his work are not explored. These things are really important in spreading ideas between past practitioners of science and mathematics. And I would argue they're more important and more interesting to focus on than an apple falling on Newton's head. Bearing that in mind, I think that the theory of sets of points is a really interesting historical example of questioning what we remember in the history of science. This book had no novel content in it. It was not novel at all, but it was a textbook. It summarised everything that had been uh, synthesised at the time in a new way to present these ideas um, in a more accessible manner to whoever was reading. And people reading had to have a pretty strong concept of maths at the time. It, it was a difficult textbook to get through, guys. <laughs> I struggled. Yes, reading the revisions that Grace made at the back of the book in her annotated copy uh, make it abundantly clear just how much of a role she had in revising this copy. It can lead us to think about the role that she had in writing the original thing in the first place. She clearly knew her stuff and she put in examples and theorems, um, new structures, new modifications to sentences in these revisions. Grace also inserted reviews into her copy of the theory of sets of points. These reviews come from the time of the book being originally published and they praised the book as intervening the mathematical community and summarising a new field to those with a strong mathematical background. I'm not going to go into the nitty gritty maths of the book because I don't think that is necessarily the point I'm trying to make here. I think actually William makes the point um, very well <laughs> in a letter that he wrote to Grace regarding the book in September 1905. And this letter is Liverpool D1406897. He said, make a note for the preface to say that one, we are entering in this subject into the holy of holies of mathematics. Two, just as mathematics whets the intellect for other subjects, like for law, so sets of points does this for mathematics in general. No mathematical subject has ideas which do not seem easy after grappling with the sets of points. Absence of symbolism does not interfere with these facts. Symbolism work is the apparatus of mathematics. So if we think about how we value discoveries in the history of science, William is directly saying symbolism work is the apparatus of mathematics. So things that we might not expect to value when we were remembering past science might be very important and in fact the apparatus of mathematics. And he says earlier, we are entering in this subject into the holy of holies of mathematics. Also, Grace's annotations echo her labour, marking her process of synthesising and reworking ideas from other concepts she came across. Mathematical activity offered a joyful escape for Grace, as it did for many female mathematicians at the time. Now I think it's time to read Grace's annotated copy of the Theory of Sets of Points as a scrapbook in which Grace assembled mementos of her personal and mathematical life. The scrapbook had to be functional. Grace was composing a compendium of thoughts for a second edition, yet it was deeply personal. Book writing and amending was a solitary process. The abstract world of controllable numbers created by sets might have been a special space for Grace, who could remove herself from the harsher realities of her life. She grangerized. This is 
the process of adding visual and verbal material. But she rangerized this book with watercolors, postcards, notes, and quotes with personal meaning. The back manuscript pages are freeform. These notes were not for anyone else's consumption. Women typically use scrapbooks to escape from, collate, and comment upon their surrounding world. As the theory of sets of points was primarily a math textbook, its scrapbook identity has gone unnoticed and it remains intact. So reading Grace's annotated copy of sets as a scrapbook, I can explore what it meant for Grace to create private spaces for herself amidst her partnership and family life and express herself within these. This is where Grace's extraordinary personality comes out and where we can learn so much from her. So this will help us understand her lived experience for what it was rather than what her correspondence with William implies it was. Grace's annotated copy of The Theory of Sets of Points showcases her writing, painting, photography, poetry, language and teaching abilities. She was also skilled at music, medicine, fiction writing and mathematics. It is often forgotten that mathematicians might have had other interests in their life. Grace's range of talents have previously been used to devalue her as not purely mathematical. Grace has been portrayed by Ivor Grattan Guinness as William's highly functional, supportive secretary, with William the disorganised but greater mathematician. This is not evident in the documented activities of each partner in set and builds on gendered tropes of genius. Such varied talents as being able to speak multiple languages have been remembered as remarkable in William's case. So let's have a look at what's in the actual book. In the first few pages, Grace has produced two beautiful watercolours of her son, Laurie. Laurie was not their first son. Their first son was called Frankie. Frankie died in 1917, flying for the Royal Air Corps during World War I. Grace worked on sets whilst deeply affected by his death. Here, I think, would be a good time to talk about how this affected me personally. Reading Grattan Guinness's account of when Grace found out that Frankie died, honestly, I was a mess. I was just sobbing and I read it out loud on the phone to my mum the day before this whole project was due and I was just sobbing on the phone to her. Um, so I think I'm going to read it out loud to you, see, see what I can do for the waterworks. I just think this is a great example of how reading um, people's past writings and yeah, going through an archive of stuff and getting to know someone's whole life is just really emotionally effective. <laughs> so yeah, a bit of background to this first is that I had read just years of Grace and William writing to each other back and forth about Frankie's education, fretting over him, reporting all of the times when he had been curious and kind and really interested in the world and a lovely brother to his siblings. So I don't know, I think I'd grown a little fond of him from reading all of this stuff. And then he just died. So, okay, Frankie uh, had always dreamed of flying planes and Grace and William were really keen for him not to become a pilot because they saw it as a death wish and they really cared about him. They also really cared for him to follow his dreams. So eventually they sort of caved. William was really not keen on the whole idea. Um, but Frankie also felt that he had a duty to go and fight for Britain, even though they had spent the time when Frankie was alive, not living in Britain, but living in Geneva, France, Germany. During the war, Frankie had sent them lots of 
posts um, and I got to read it in the archives in Liverpool. It was so cool. All the censored posts, really getting a feel for his supposed positivity about the whole thing and how he was living out his dreams. William, the whole time, had been on a teaching post abroad, so he had not been there. Um, so yes, this is on page 156 of Grass and Guinness's A Mathematical Union, William Henry and Grace Chisholm Young. So this is his account of them. Most of this is quoted, just the final sentence is the bit that Grattan Guinness has put in. But so this is Grace's autobiographical account of her finding out that Frankie had died in the war. So, it was Sunday morning, February the 18th. We had drunk our coffee and Will was lying in bed dictating to me notes for his new book when the doorbell rang. Like a flash of lightning, I was downstairs. Ah, that bell at an unexpected time. There was one thing it might always mean. Too true, there stood the postman with a telegram. I tore it open, war office. Death was in my heart. I was up in Will's room. Yes, it is the worst possible. No, no, Will, don't be frightened. It is nothing serious. I unfolded it. Killed in action. Oh, no, no, it is. Not the worst. Will threw himself over on his bed. I fell against the door. I thought he would die under the blow. He was my only thought. All that he had foreseen, all the foolish incompetence, all that had so nearly been avoided by his careful and conscientious efforts, all shattered. You hundreds of thousands who have gone through what we went through, you will have a vision of those awful hours of agony. You hundreds of thousands. For Will, only one thing mattered. I never kissed him goodbye. <laughs> Honestly, in bits. I managed to not cry this time. That's because I've read it out many times. It's so sad. Oh. Anyway, <laughs> I went to the Liverpool archives twice and in between the two visits, I had read this whole account of their son dying and found it very emotional. Then in the second visit, I actually held the telegram that they were describing. I just was flicking through a bundle of envelopes and just found it was just there in my hands and I was just whoa <laughs> so yeah history is very exciting sometimes <laughs> but so we can see elements here of Grace's love of her personal life and her family in the book that she annotated and yeah she's put in lots of watercolors and some could argue this is quite a gendered practice and that you know male's if if it, if it had been William's personal copy, there might not have been all of these uh, little personal bits and bobs in there. So on top of that, Grace wrote a very interesting passage in the front of the textbook. She said, now it's in French, so I can't speak or pronounce French well at all. Their Geneva address that they lived in while Grace was working on this book is called was called La Nonette de la Forêt. <laughs> so... I'm just going to call it La Nonette to avoid embarrassment again. Um, but the passage goes something along these lines. This is just a rough translation. So um, the campaign called uh, The Little Nun of the Forest, and The Little Nun of the Forest is La Nonette de la Forêt, um, has always been called this way. The word nonette uh, means a little part, this part especially chosen within the ensemble of the forest. So this is kind of interesting. Why is Grace writing this down? Uh, just above a picture she's inserted of her husband and her son, Laurie. 
what's going on here? At first, I thought maybe she's talking about the role that her dress, La Nonette de la Forêt, played. But then I thought, given that she has inserted into this book a lot of correspondence with other mathematicians which have addressed their letters to La Nonette, um, and some of whom have addressed their letters to just William and not Grace, Grace might be making a little pun here, a little play on words about her part in working on this book. She writes in French, the word nonette uh, means a little part, especially chosen within the ensemble of the forest. So maybe she's talking about the small part that she was thought to play within the ensemble of the forest, because also ensemble can also mean set, and this is a book on set theory. So I don't know. Anyway, this is not the only little phrase in this book that she has written down, which leads to lots of question marks. But on top of this, in the Liverpool archive, a lot of her personal works, her poetry, her paintings, there are lots of interpretations that could be made. And there is one called The Trot of the Scapegoat. This is a poem that she wrote in 1936 in Cologne, um, which talks all about a scapegoat coming to his master's feet and the master sending the scapegoat away and being really mean to it and then calling it back and them sort of making up and it almost calls for an allegorical reading of the master being William and Grace being the scapegoat. At one point she refers to the scapegoat as scapegrace. When I first read the poem I was so confused I did not know what she was talking about but I think reading it with Grace being the scapegoat and William being the master provides quite a convincing explanation. So it is possible that Grace managed her life difficulties through allegorical poetry, novel writing and other art forms. She wrote three children's books and began various historical romantic novels while expressing the joy of educating her children in her books, Bimbo and the Frogs and Bimbo. This was before Bimbo was derogatory, by the way. Um, Bimbo was actually their pet name for Frankie, who died. Um, yes, so these children's books are idealised accounts of her family life and the characters correspond to each person within the family. So I think it's pretty remarkable that on top of being an amazing mathematician, Grace also wrote children's books, was an amazing painter, was an amazing poet. I just think, yeah, she's quite extraordinary. And she also very clearly thought about the mathematical work that she was carrying out. She quotes Plato's Theaetetus in her annotated copy of The Theory of Sets of Points. She says, the whole then, according to our present view, would differ from all. But this is all in Greek, because on top of being incredible in so many ways, she can speak a million different languages. I think that from this passage, while Socrates was asking Theotetus if it was possible that the whole of a set might be different from the sum of its parts, which Theotetus confirmed. Um, and Plato was arguing that a complex was not anything over and above its elements. And aside from the passages set puns again, Grace was perhaps hinting that set theory describes something fundamentally true, as ancient philosophers discuss similar things, including how to group information and what sets are. So even if not yet discovered or classified, the mathematical truths Plato contended with were viewed as the same as those explored by Grace. So I read Grace's annotated copy of sets here as a scrapbook to unveil a bit more about her personal identity unbound to Williams. And yeah, I think the correspondence and reviews that she inserted in this book also kind of act as little 
souvenirs of achievement um, in her scrapbook collection of the impact of her work. So it's quite nice to see, um, thinking about my own thing, if I were to make a little book of mementos of a project that I made, I might include some good reviews. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think through this whole episode, we have seen Grace in many different ways. And I have explored how we can read Grace's personal copy of her book, The Theory of Sets of Points, in three different ways to understand Grace's lived experience a bit more. And this is not the only way one could go about this. Um, as we've seen, the partnership literature has thought solely about Grace's role within her partnership. But I think that the book kind of shows Grace to have quite a few freedoms within her largely long-distance marriage. And the letter that Grace had with William inserted into this book is overall ordinary, depicting two characteristic middle-class lives of the period. And I think a few letters have been taken by historians, including Jones, um, to convey distorted senses of the couple's personal dynamic and Grace's views of her position within society. And I think that Grace's annotated copy of the book shows her own mathematical tendencies and processes separately from Williams and that the book has dimensions also as a scrapbook where women could construct an identity for themselves through collation, isolation and engagement. So I have explored rich flavours of Grace's personal life that non-mathematical components of this book offers and I think that trying to understand Grace from only one perspective such as that of the partnership literature or as a contributor to mathematical discovery, I think that misses out her whole person. So I think that overall, the book represents many voices. Lorraine Dustin argued that we can look at different perspectives of an object to understand what it can tell us. And I've shown this to be true for Grace's personal copy of Set. When we look at such analyses in relation to the gendered partnership literature, we find there to be this twofold spatial dimension to the book both where Grace was in relation to William at a particular time, because they were in a long-distance relationship a lot of the time, and also within sets as the defined geographical space of a printed book. So both of these spatial boundaries were important to Grace and relate to one another in interesting ways. In A Room of One's Own, published in 1929, Virginia Woolf considered the importance of separate spaces for women to operate freely in the context of writing books. In A Lab of One's Own, published in 2018, Patricia Farah discussed gendered segregation within scientific institutions and labs as spaces for women to practice science in their own world. Extending Virginia Woolf's argument, the physical space of this book gave Grace a space where she could carry out mathematical activity autonomously. Anyway, reading the book as a transcript of their partnership, as a mathematical textbook and as Grace's scrapbook yields three interpretations of Grace's life, which are to be observed alongside each other for an integrated view. Grace was a wife, a mathematician, a mother, an artist, an extraordinary person. This book shows them to not all be that different. The same object can describe multiple things. The book's binding holds these views of Grace as one. So that was a bit about Grace Chisholm Young. <laughs> I think Grace is very extraordinary, of course, and that the book really helps us get at the things about her which have not been explored before, which are as extraordinary as the fact that she was a woman in STEM and 
that she managed a creative partnership whereby she did not receive that much credit for her work compared to her husband, William. I think also there is another point to be made here that objects within history are super important and can speak to us. And if you're interested in that, you should read Things That Talk by Lorraine Dustin. If this episode has brought up any questions or criticisms, please get in touch. I would be so interested to hear everything. I hope that you have enjoyed my exploration of Grace Chisholm Young, the extraordinary galley, the mathematician, the mother, the artist, the person, and have gained some insight um, into the past and mathematics of the past and women of the past. Um, I certainly learned so much from this, so I'm so grateful to have been able to explore Grace and go to all of the archives and everything. But yes, that is all for now. I hope that you enjoyed this episode and I will see you soon. Goodbye.